the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the Top Flight campaign. It's Friday, which means we're on the eve of match day two of the brand new Premier League season. And we'll preview all of the weekend's games on tomorrow's special preview show. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. But for today, it's Tottenham talk again. Spurs lost to Portuguese Minos Passos de Ferreira in their Europa Conference League qualifier last night. Has all that positivity over the Manchester City win last week evaporated quite literally overnight? We'll discuss that result as well as the latest transfer news from the Premier League. James Ward-Prowse has put an end to speculation of a move to Aston Villa by penning a new Southampton contract. Mohamed Salah could also be in line for a new deal at Liverpool. And is Jesse Lingard going to head for the Old Trafford exit door before the window shuts? Plus, Manchester City have been the centre of conversation for a number of reasons this summer, but the latest of which isn't about Grealish or Harry Kane, it's about their kit. The unusual City third strip has been turning heads. We'll find out why shortly when Aaron from the Talking Kit podcast joins us later. I'm Niall, welcome to the show and completing the royal flush of podcasts for the week is Marley Anderson. Hi Marley. <laughs> Do I get to go home with like a, it's like scoring a hat-trick, it's like a, get a match ball or something to go home with or get a little golden microphone or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can take your microphone home with you. Um, and it's a rare three card trick this week as well for Jim Salverson. Morning Jim. You're right. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Just wondering if you're ever going to uh, match Marley's ambition of uh, of all seven podcasts in a week. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, fine. That's how it's going to be. Let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur. We mentioned their game against Passos de Ferreira on yesterday's podcast. Of course, it's a Europa Conference League qualifier. It was the first leg last night. Spurs away from home in Portugal. No Harry Kane travelling with the squad. A much-changed side put out by Nuno Espirito Santo. And they lost... They lost by a goal to nil. Now, as we say, plenty of changes, lots of young faces in the team, players who some people have never heard of before. But with a team like Tottenham Hotspur, Jim, are there any excuses to lose to a side who aren't in any way as prestigious as Tottenham or as good as Tottenham? And that's with no disrespect to their opponents. I don't think there can be many excuses. I mean, you've got to rewind to what we were saying yesterday about this game and we weren't sure how seriously Spurs were going to take this one, be it it is the qualification period for the Europa League conference. So it's not even the competition proper and the competition proper is something that arguably no one really cares about. So it's difficult to kind of hammer them too much for not walking away with a win in the first leg of this one, even though they do have the chance to recover when they take the Portuguese team back to new White Hart Lane. But at the same time, you would have expected them to have enough to overcome the team that was in front of them. And this wasn't the under-23s. This wasn't the development squad that lined up against Pacos de Ferreira. It was it was a decent lineup. It included some of their new signings that have come in over the transfer window, which haven't been bargain basement buys. They haven't been youth prospects. They have been players that have come in to be considered amongst that first team select. So I'll be honest with you, didn't watch the game. I doubt anyone watched the game unless they're a diehard Tottenham fan. But from what I read on the match reports, it wasn't necessarily they were overcome by the Portuguese. It was more that they just didn't really turn up. And I think 
certainly 70 minutes, I remember checking in on the stats on the game and realising that Spurs hadn't had a shot on target in the first 70 minutes of the competition. And there are no excuses for that in any game because surely with the attacking ability that Spurs have, they should be making some kind of inroads. They should be at least testing the goalkeeper, particularly of a team that aren't in the same league as Tottenham Hotspur. Well, the Europa Conference League is obviously a new competition and... I saw a few tweets yesterday saying that people shouldn't sneer about it and, and you know, it football exists. I think one guy tweeted back on uh, on our Twitter page saying uh, football exists outside the Premier League. And I totally respect that opinion. I think it's important that we do need to throw it out there that for, for some clubs, playing a team like Tottenham Hotspur is the biggest thing that could happen to them. I mean, you look at Manchester United when they played against Astana from Kazakhstan. I mean, that game was considered a, a, a huge achievement for the team over there in Kazakhstan. And unfortunately, they got beat quite handsomely. But the ability and the option to play against Manchester United is huge for them, not just financially, but also just in general uh, as a prestige match for them. So I think it's important that we do treat the opponents with a level of respect. We mentioned yesterday about the reaction, Marley, and about how there could be a, a few sniggers if Tottenham Hotspur did lose. Well, they did in the end by a goal to nil, but there hardly seems to have been a reaction. Largely, probably because it's a two-legged affair and Tottenham can easily turn it around. But do you think that generally sums up the feeling about the competition? Because these qualifiers have been going on since July and it's almost like no one really is too bothered until the competition starts for real. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's the that's the nature of this competition, you know. Nobody's nobody's that bothered. I think it's same same with Europa League at some point at, at certain points, but yeah, I, I don't know. Spurs, I don't know. I I wasn't surprised to see them get beat, especially when they put that team out. Um, I agree with Jim; they should have still won the game. But you know, I think this is this is huge for Pacos rather than like. They're not writing it off the same as as we are, and it might have sounded a bit disrespectful yesterday talking about you know does anybody care about it? But in reality, they don't care about it, and we're a Premier League podcast, so why we don't? Nobody cares about it until you know even if <laughs> even if they go and win it without conceding a goal in the competition, we still don't care. It's it's nothing. It's not you know it's the, the as we said yesterday, it's a no win situation. So you know by by you know messing it up at the first hurdle. <laughs> You know, I know they can still, and they should still overturn this and win three or four nil at at, um, at the Spurs Stadium. But and I mean, it, it just covers up the cracks, really. Um, they proved they proved last year in the Europa League they have they have issues getting up for games um, that they should win and they're not really that bothered about. You know, you seen them getting to, um, done by was it Antwerp in the in the group stages um, when they as soon as they rest Harry Kane and Son. They bring in like Carlos Vinicius and Lamella in the in the time. They're still quality players, but they had that um, attitude problem of like the complacency just just set in. Um, and the first hurdle they've faced this season, they did the same thing, um, and they've got the same outcome. So it's always going to be a problem. Tottenham Hotspur obviously were riding the crest of a wave a little bit at the weekend, Jim, after beating Manchester City and. 
City are the champions. They've made an £100 million signing in Jack Grealish. A lot of people suggesting they'll be right up there at the top end of the Premier League again this season. Whereas for Spurs, it was all doom and gloom going into that opening game. Harry Kane wasn't involved. He was probably going to join Manchester City. And no one really knew how they were going to do with a new manager at the helm as well. Well, they ended up winning the game by a goal to nil, which is a great result for Tottenham. But do you feel that that positivity has almost eroded immediately after the defeat last night? I don't think so. Because it was such a changed team, I don't think it ruins that momentum from the first game. At the same time, I don't think Tottenham want to be getting too carried away with that first game because they set up against Manchester City in a way they probably won't set up against many other teams in the Premier League this season. So they are going to have to adapt depending on who their opposition is. And although it's a good tester in your first game to play the team that everyone expects to walk the league at the same time, it is one game. You still get three points for it and it sets you off to a good start, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything going forward. But because you had those changes last night, I don't think it really disrupts that too much. I think what would be most disappointing for Spurs is that the fringe players that came in, the players that you would expect to be within that periphery of the first team, people like Sessegnon and Harry Winks and Loselzo, didn't grasp the opportunity to impress the new manager and maybe stake a claim for an appearance in the first team or put pressure on the existing starting eleven, I think that will be more disappointing than necessarily the result. Because as you say, Niall, there is plenty of time to turn this around. And even though they may not be 100% focused on this competition above others at this stage, you'd still expect them to qualify ultimately by winning the second leg yeah the second leg obviously is around the corner so we'll find out what the situation is with Tottenham by then but if they do end up losing that or drawing that and they don't get through Mali do you think that will help Tottenham that they're not in Europe because we mentioned this yesterday again that they're almost damned if they do and damned if they don't if they're playing in the competition and they end up going to win it the merit isn't as significant because it's lesser caliber of opposition but Tottenham are desperate for a trophy so it's almost like a catch-22 for them let's just say the unthinkable happens and they do end up getting knocked out and not even qualifying for the conference league do you think that actually might help them with a focus then on the Premier League and solely the domestic competitions in terms of silverware there which is effectively what they need isn't it they need to get back into the Champions League or at least the Europa League ASAP and add some silverware to that trophy cabinet yeah I think um I think in the grand scheme of things, I think uh, qualifying for Europe this season, like the Champions League maybe, or certainly the Europa League would be a bigger, uh, not a bigger achievement, but certainly more um, valued than winning the Europa Conference League. Um, I think that is what Spurs fans would want from this season. I think, as we said before, and as we said yesterday, I think, you know, as Jim called it the Intertoto Cup, and that is essentially very similar to what it is. Um, and, you know, nobody ever mentions Newcastle's triumph in 2005, 2006. So, you know, it's you not... Do. Well, I do, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's not seen as a major trophy, um, and rightly so, because we won it by getting the furthest of the teams that were in the Intertoto Cup the next season in the Champions League. That's how we won. We didn't win a final. We we got further than anybody else who played in the Intertoto the, the, the year after, which was just even more bizarre. Um, but this is, I think this is just a distraction for Spurs. And we talk about, you know, uh, can they play twice in a week and all that, all that stuff. But 
I know it's always going to be a second team or, or even a, a second slash youth team that's um, that's lining up in in you know round Europe on a Thursday night. But I just think that can be so much that time and that preparation you miss out on for the Premier League at the weekend can be so much better used than than you know going one on one with Pyok Salonika in a group stage rubber game that doesn't really mean anything. So. I would, I'd be more than sort of in the camp of of just sacking this competition off. Before we move on from this, I wanted to get your thoughts, Jim, on how you feel Nuno Espirito Santo has done so far since he took the reins at Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously, he replaced a fellow Portuguese in Jose Mourinho, who was sacked before the League Cup final. And then Ryan Mason took temporary charge for the end of last season before they sweeped for Nuno Santo when he left Wolverhampton Wanderers. How do you think he's done in the job so far obviously a great start in his first competitive game by beating Manchester City in the Premier League opener but also lots of things off the field like how he's dealt with the Harry Kane situation in the media and you know it's it's a new challenge for him at a bigger club how do you think he's fared so far? I think it's very early to say how he's doing on the pitch like I said I think he was very clever about the way he approached the Tottenham the Manchester City game and he came away with the right result there so I think he deserves full marks for that opening fixture last night is a really weird one to judge for the reasons we've already discussed we don't know how much effort and time he was going to put or focus he was going to put on that competition and it was a much changed team I guess time will tell as to whether that was the right choice it wasn't the right choice on the night necessarily but with these two-legged affairs it almost doesn't matter too much what you get in the away leg Uh, and away goals don't even count this season so scoring is less a important than it would be in previous European competitions so I mean you've got to judge it on how he's handled Harry Kane I guess and how he's spoken in the press since taking charge and he's always been a class act Nuno Espirito Santo I think he's spoken with honesty and with conviction in his press conferences when he was at Wolves and he's continued that at Spurs I think he's been really honest with the way he's talked about the Harry Kane situation publicly in that he's not said a great deal. He's only had two weeks of contact with the player, despite being in the job a couple of months now. And he said he wants Harry Kane to stay. He will do his best for him to make him stay. But ultimately, it's not really within his control. And he couldn't do a lot more. I like Nuno Espirito Santo. I think it's a, there's a few question marks over his ability and whether he can step up to this level and manage the type of household names that Spurs are signed to have on their books. But so far, I'd say for Tottenham fans, the signs are decent. Well, Nuno Espirito Santo loses his first European match as the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. 1-0 defeat to Passos de Ferreira, the relatively unknown Portuguese side. But of course, it is only the first leg of their two-legged qualifier. They'll bring them back to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next week to contest that game to see who does qualify for the inaugural UEFA Europa Conference League. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. More controversy next, but it comes off the pitch and it's to do with football kits. Aaron from the Sports Social Podcast Network's Talking Kit will be joining us to discuss Manchester City's eyebrow-raising third kit. We'll do it next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall, Jim and Marley alongside me and Manchester City have been in the headlines plenty of times this summer already, mainly regarding transfer news. Jack Grealish has arrived at Manchester City for 100 million quid. Still don't know whether Harry Kane's going to make the jump from Tottenham to City. But the main talk regarding City right now is not about any players or any of those other things. It's actually about their new third kit, which dropped just a couple of days ago. And it has been met with an interesting reaction, let's just say that. So who better to come on to Football Social Daily and help us talk about kits than Aaron from the Talking Kit podcast. How are you doing, Aaron? How you doing, boys? You okay? Yeah, we're all great. Yeah, all really good. Now, the new Manchester City third kit has turned a few heads, to say the least. It basically is, I think it's a black kit, isn't it? With like the the traditional Manchester City uh, sort of light blue colouring on it. But instead of having a a club crest in the middle of the shirt, it says Manchester City or Man City in writing, which is something that we haven't seen too often before. What do you make of it? Because there's been plenty of reaction. I think I've seen better kits on the side of a beach in Tenerife, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrible. They just look like t-shirts. It's like the kind of thing you like fan t-shirts you'd find in Sports Direct. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure why they thought it was a good idea. And I, I know they did it with the national teams in the Euros, but they actually had the the, the the crest on as well. So I don't know why they've not followed it. I mean, it's innovative. They've tried it at a different angle, but it's it's not for me. It doesn't for, to charge seventy pound for one of those. Is that what I, it costs? Yeah, seventy. Y- yeah. The, they're just the standard price for a normal kit, so I don't, I don't know how they think they can get away with that. I mean, <laughs> if you, you might have, you might have seen the video from Fenerbahce last night where the player was mocking, trying to kiss the badge after scoring, <laughs> uh, and obviously he couldn't, he, he couldn't find it. So yeah, the marketing team not are going to be having a strongly worded email oh. from them. They'll be, they'll be messaging him in the morning, won't they? I, I imagine so. <laughs> it's not gone down too well as you probably see on social media, but I mean, yeah. These these obviously brands like to try new stuff. Um, it's got them talking. Whether that translates into sales, I, I I doubt it. Being a, a fan of kits myself, but yeah, it's 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 been a weird one. Why does everyone hate it, Jim? Is it just because it looks different? It's got the writing rather than the badge, and it's not what we're used to in terms of a kit. Or is it literally just a terrible shirt, and that's why everyone hates it? Well, I think there's three elements at play here that feed into the negative reception of this kit. I don't hate it that much. I don't like it. I wouldn't like it if it was my team's kit, but I can kind of see what they're trying to do. And I think there's three things that kind of play into this. One, they've removed the club crest. And the one thing you don't mess with with a football club is the yeah. club crest because it's central to the identity of that team. And we know from the past, any time there has been any attempt to update a badge or change a badge, it always causes outroar. I remember a couple of years ago when they added the word London under the West Ham badge. That was the only change, just London underneath. That caused a huge upset amongst the fans. So don't mess with the badge. Make sure the badge is on there. That's going to cause some issues. The second bit is... Football fans hate change. Anything that's a little bit new or a little bit different tends to be met with opposition. And I mean, Manchester City fans are particularly resistant to change. There are a lot that do enjoy a moan every now and again. There's been a fair few complaints about the fact that the stadium is going cashless for the new season. It's like, why are you whinging about that? It works brilliantly in Germany. So football fans don't like change. But the third, and I think the most significant thing that plays into this, is that the kit is a reminder of the European Super League. 
That's why these kits were designed. They've got Man City on the front because the idea is it's going to attract a new fan base who maybe aren't familiar with A, your team's colours and B, your team's badge. So they wanted to make it really clear which teams were going to be playing who in the Super League and this was kind of one of the attempts to do that and draw in those new fans. So I think it's a bit of a reminder to people that, look, your club was prepared to screw you over as fans and go and join this new competition. So I think all those three elements are playing into a little bit of discomfort from the fans on this new kit. I think that that being said, though, Fenerbahce weren't really going to be in the European Super League. So I think it is rolled out as a template. It's a template. It is a template, but I think that's the intention of Puma was for those, because there are a fair few teams who would have been in the Super League. And I think we saw similar from the other teams, didn't we? I seem to remember some kind of unveiling of the potential kits that were going to be involved, which had versions mm. of this for Real Madrid and Barcelona from their kit providers. I think well. AC Milan was the one that sticks okay. out for me. I think that came out a long time ago, or at least the, the kind of the leaks that you often get. We'll come on to what Puma say and whether it's good or bad PR for them in a minute. But I think that's a good point Jim makes, Aaron, actually, because it, it reminds me of almost like uh, American-style jerseys you know like they wear in the NFL and the basketball in the NBA where, where it does say the team name on the front where things are almost done more by by writing than they are by club crests oh yeah I totally agree with that like the, the only the only sport where they, they sort of have the um the logo is obviously the ice hockey wherever everywhere else baseball basketball and like you say NFL they all they all st- steer away from the from the uh, the crest it's, de- it's definitely a branding a branding uh sort of Way way into selling selling kits. I think the best one for me would be the Valencia one, just because it's got no sponsor on there, and it just just look it just looks like a training top. So that's the one I would I would plump for. But I've seen people actually go at that that one the most. Um, the only like I say the, the crest is sort of embedded into the top, so they they have put it in there somewhere. It's just um, yeah, it, it's just plain. It, it doesn't it, it just doesn't look like a football top. I think that's that's what gets me. Mm. Gets me the most. They're just basically um, pre-match tops that are charging £70 for. <laughs> Puma say they want to challenge the norm, Marley. I think they've definitely done that, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, just about. I think this whole thing like comes from people being really brave with third kits recently. You know, manufacturers are, are really sort of taking chances. You see Man United looking like a bunch of zebras last season with that, that Adidas effort, um, which got panned massively, but sold quite well, I think. Um and I think manufacturers just do that a bit more. They give themselves a bit more freedom. They try things because ultimately a third kit is fairly quickly forgotten about and hard to sell. Um, so you've got, you have got to take risks. But I think what what annoys football fans most is, um, as Jim said, the lack of sort of traditionalism and, and change um, and also uh, templates. I think people get really wound up about templates, but... Not everyone can have a bespoke kit because templates are are given are produced by you know huge manufacturers Puma, Adidas, Nike. You know we've seen it for fifteen, twenty years, probably more. Um, going back, you know, remember the the World Cup in two thousand and was it two thousand six? I think it was when everyone had that Nike um, the Nike um, template with the sort of panel on the back, and it looked really really nice. So when you get it right, it looks really nice because it comes in different colorways for different kits. And it looks really, uh, really cool. But, you know, this one is just the opposite of it because I don't think there's a set of fans that like it. I think the only sort of the third point on this is that I think it's quite American and Asian market centred. 
I think it'll sell well in in China and um, Japan and and the, the sort of Far East and maybe the American as as you said before about the um, it's similar to NFL kits and NBA kits with the you know the Man City or Valencia or Milan or Dortmund uh, wording on it. So that ain't gonna sell well in England, but you know if you ever go on holiday to to somewhere in America or somewhere in Asia or Japan or Korea, um, you are probably gonna see a few of them when when it's game day for Man City or whoever's uh, involved. Obviously, this kit is going down at the moment as a bit of a stinker, Aaron. But you know the way that kit collection works. And do you think that actually in maybe 10, 15 years time, looking back, that this will be somewhat of a collector's item? Because even though it's so bad, it's the sort of kit that people want in their collection. Oh, I'd say so, yeah. I think it's it's one of those that fan, fans are going to buy it. Some of them do actually look okay. It's just obviously the controversies surrounding the, the badge, like you say. But I think it will go down in sort of folklore as, as a bad kit I mean one of my favourite United away kits is that grey kit uh, obviously nobody, nobody likes it's obviously made worse by Ferguson saying that the players couldn't see each other in it uh, but for me for me <laughs> I actually love that kit and it's one on my list to uh, sort of get again obviously but the one I had as a kid doesn't fit anymore so um, but yeah no I think um, some some of them look okay. Um, the the Marseille one, like and the Valencia one, like I say, are actually okay. I probably would wear one. I wouldn't buy one, but I'd probably would wear one. Um, but my favourite thing about it is that with the Borussia Butch and Gladbach one, they've obviously just gone for Borussia because I think they don't have the uh, material <laughs> material to get to get. They'd have it bending all the way around the back, <laughs> wouldn't they? Like a, like Jan Vinegar of Hesselink at the Celtic. <laughs> they have to stitch two together to just to get it get it across. <laughs> but yeah, um, it will go down a sort of um, uh, sort of a fan, maybe a fan's favourite in in terms of their their own specific team. But I don't see it winning any awards. Do you know what I do quite like about this kit and all of the kits? And it only comes becomes obvious when you see all the kits together. And I, don't, I haven't heard anyone talking about this, but clearly there's an effort to establish these football clubs as brands. And I know we kind of, as football fans, we hate the idea that our football clubs are brands, but each different kit has got a different typography in terms of the way the name is presented on the front. So, and I think, and I don't know, I don't know enough about fonts and whatnot to say this for certain, but I think rather than just like going on to Microsoft and selecting Wingdings or Aerial or whatever it is, I think they've had individual <laughs> typographies designed as well. So there's kind of like, what's quite nice, what I quite like is the fact there is this kind of step back brand approach to this and they've gone, right, we are Marseille or we are Borussia or we are Manchester City. So what does our brand look like in terms of a font as well as your colours and your badges? I don't think they've got this right. I think they, they've missed the kind of public tone and feeling as to how these kits would be received but there are elements in it that I do quite like and I think that's quite a nice touch well on that Jim is it good or bad PR for Puma because everyone's talking about them and their kits and obviously in a market in which you know Adidas and Nike are the two biggest hitters Puma aren't too far behind they signed a big contract with Manchester City a couple of years ago um, to provide the kits and I think that resulted in deals with Sergio Aguero and Pep Guardiola as well to kind of wear the Puma gear. They say that no PR is bad PR, but would you agree with that in this situation? Um, actually, I think where as far as Puma are concerned, probably it works in their favour because I've never heard anyone say, I want Puma to design my team's football kit. If you're picking the, ki- the designers you want, it probably goes Nike, Adidas, Umbro in that order. And then maybe Umbro. come and pretend... 
I, I, I think Umbra have some really nice kicks. God, you, when, you're so Brexit, Jim. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, if, again, it's one of those things. If they're not just using the templates, the new, the, the new West Ham shits are great. Anyway, moving on. Um, I think Puma's main objective probably isn't around selling football shirts. I think they want to be seen as a fashion brand, hence the tie-ins with the likes of Pep Guardiola getting them to wear hoodies on match days and that kind of thing. And when you look at these kits, they are more fashion brand than football kits. So I don't necessarily think it is bad news for them that they're getting this sometimes negative attention. Well, the Puma kit... Uh, that Manchester City have for their third strip this season. Certainly hasn't gone down too well with Man City fans. I've seen some people say that it looks like pyjamas. I certainly think it looks like something you'd get in the middle aisle of Aldi during the Euros or something <laughs> like that. But um, What do you think? Let us know at the Sports Social on Twitter and go and check out Talking Kit as well. Aaron and uh, I think it's your two cousins as well, isn't it, Aaron? Uh, you sit down and do the podcast. Where can people find Talking Kit? Of course, it's a part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So just let us know a little bit about the show. Yeah, so it's myself, James and Sean. Uh, like I say, three cousins, just uh, three football kit fanatics making a podcast for football kit fanatics. You can find us everywhere, um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at Talking Kit. Uh, and it's also a video um, podcast on YouTube as well. Again, it's just Talking Kit. Yeah, come and get involved and uh, talk some kit with us. <laughs> Sounds good. Talking kit on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to stop talking kits and we're going to start talking transfers. We'll do it next after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. Niall McCorn here, Jim Salverson, Marley Anderson alongside me. We've just heard from Aaron from Talking Kit. Don't forget you can go and check out that podcast. All to do with football kits on the Sports Social Podcast Network. So just head to our website, sport-social.co.uk and hit the podcasts tab on the website or just search wherever you get your podcasts for Talking Kit and you can find it there. Time to discuss transfers now though. We're going to leave Football Kit chat behind us for the time being and we're going to discuss Southampton who faced Manchester United this weekend at St Mary's, lost their opening game of the season against Everton and there's been plenty of speculation about their personnel this summer. Ralph Hasenhurtl has seen Ryan Bertrand leave the club, Yannick Vestergaard leave the club, both of those players have gone to Leicester, Danny Ings in somewhat a surprise move to Aston Villa which seemed to catch everyone on the hop. There was also links between Aston Villa and James Ward-Prowse. Some murmurings yesterday that £50 million might be enough to prize the Southampton captain away from St Mary's. Well, those rumours have now been quashed because the midfielder has signed a new five-year deal at Southampton. How big a boost is that for Southampton, Marley? That's big news for them considering their squad was being picked off this summer. Yeah, that's that's massive for, for Southampton. I think um, he's the standout player in that team now. Um, Ings has gone, the goals have gone. I think if they lost the, all the goals and the captain who's been there his entire career, I think you're looking at relegation very, very squarely in the face. Um, if they if they'd lost him, I still think they are in a bit of trouble. Southampton, I, I do worry about where uh, where the goals are going to come from. But keeping a character like um, Ward Prowse around is is great for them, um, and also carries on that that threat of of set pieces and and all the rest of the quality he brings to the uh, to the midfield. I don't think I don't think he missed a minute of. Of Premier League football last season, always there, always fit, always, you know, in a really combative role in in midfield as well. So, he's um he's massive for for them. Um, 
I think they'd have been screwed without him, to be honest. I, I never really seen him going to Villa, though. I never, never really sort of believed that move. Um, I just couldn't. It was one of them. I just couldn't see it happening. But you know, I'm sure. I'm sure he was thinking about it. But it's it's another one of them. Like if you if you if you were Prowse and you want to leave Southampton, are Villa big enough to to throw it away for? It's it's almost like Grealish in that situation. You know, he's at hometown club playing for them, captain and all the rest of it. But Grealish left for almost guaranteed trophies, whereas Ward-Prowse didn't leave Southampton because there's no guarantees of what Villa are going to do. Um, I know they're ambitious, but so is, so were a lot of clubs in the in the Premier League. So I feel like his um, his ambitions were were uh, sorry his decision making was was pretty good there. I think he should have stayed. Um, and if a big 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 club comes in in the next two or three years, then then he might have a decision to make. But as of right now. His club needs him and he's he's stayed there, so fair play to him. James Ward-Prowse has signed a new deal and a possible new deal in the offing for Mohamed Salah, who's now 29 years of age. I think we discussed this a couple of weeks ago where there were murmurings that possibly this could be the case. Jordan Henderson has also allegedly been offered a new deal, which we have discussed on the show. But Mohamed Salah's 29 years of age now, but he's been phenomenal for Liverpool Marley since he touched down at Anfield. He probably does deserve a new deal because even though they scraped into the top four last season by putting together a brilliant run and they still are the team with the longest unbeaten run in the Premier League right now, he was the one that was banging the goals in. Even when they had a poor season, he was still there delivering. So it's probably only fair that he gets rewarded with a new deal, which would likely take him into his early 30s, by which point Liverpool would know whether it's worth keeping him on for another few years or not. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I think... He's done enough to to warrant it um, over the last what you've been there now about six years. Um, so yeah, fair fair enough for him. He's um, he's proved his worth. He's he probably earned this contract. Even if even if you didn't think he was as good a player as he once was, I still think with what he's given you over the years, he deserves another another deal. So um, I think uh, it's it's pretty good business, pretty smart business. Mohamed Salah is the sort of player that. He's always in everyone's dream team, or at least in the squad, Jim. And even at 29, people would look at him and say, "Okay, he's probably past his peak years. He's heading into his 30s. But you don't feel like that with Salah. He still seems particularly fit. You know he can impact a game, whether that be in play through the centre or off the right, cutting onto his left foot. And, you know, he's just a player with supreme consistency, which is what you need to be a success at the top level, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he has been one of the best players in the Premier League since he joined Liverpool in 2017. Almost 100 goals in 150-odd appearances or something along those lines in terms of his goal-scoring stats. He is a phenomenal player. I was listening to a certain radio station yesterday that enjoys talking about sport um, and mostly talks bollocks. Uh, they were <laughs> claiming that Mohamed Salah was one of the most overrated players of all time. And it's like... What exactly have you been watching since 2017 and him coming into the league? Because he is a superb player. And I think one of the one of the things that adds to that is the fact he hasn't lost. I can't remember him getting a serious injury at any point. I might be wrong here, but I don't remember him being out with anything serious for a substantial length of time, which means even though he is reaching the 30s he's never really lost any of that pace which is so important to his game and he is still creating those opportunities and you only have to look to last season and go well he had a disappointing season 
last season. He wasn't quite at his usual levels, and yet he was still up there competing for the golden boot. And there aren't too many players you can say that about. So I think there's plenty more to come from Mohamed Salah. He's signed, how long is it, a four-year deal he's got? I don't know, but it's he's in line for a new contract. He hasn't signed oh, it yet, line, but right. you know, if it is a four-year deal, that would take him to thirty-three, and you know, by that point, Liverpool should have a good idea whether he's still yeah, at the level uh, and whether they'd like to keep him on. And a four-year deal isn't actually a four-year deal, is it? Either a four-year deal is a two-year deal, and then they look to either extend that again or they look to move on that player because you want two years left on a player's contract before you would try and find a transfer and get full value out of it so if you think about it do you want Mohamed Salah at 31 playing at your football club undoubtedly the answer is yes well since 2017 um, 96 Liverpool goals in the Premier League but if you factor in his time at Chelsea only 13 Premier League appearances and two goals that takes his top flight tally since he's been playing in the Premier League to 98 goals in 159 appearances so he is very very close to that ton mark like you mentioned Jim could very soon be a Premier League centurion and I think that says it all about Mohamed Salah and his ability especially in the impact he's had for Liverpool as well final one we're going to discuss is very much relevant to you Jim Jesse Lingard is allegedly ready to leave Manchester United say the Times but where's he going to go if that's the case obviously there is interest from West Ham in Jesse Lingard, rightly so after the performance he had there on loan last season. But I think the plan from Lingard was, after a good loan spell, to come back to Manchester United and try and break his way into Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's thinking for first-team selection. He's a good option to have off the bench for United, but can you see him starting games? Because if he doesn't start games, or at least he's not been told he's in the thinking of the manager, he's only got a few days to sort of move out if he is going to leave. Well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said that he was in his plans, didn't he? That was before the arrival of Jadon Sancho. And certainly on the opening game of the season, we didn't see him feature. He's a quality player, Jesse Lingard. And I think Manchester United would, even though even though he's not going to be a starter and he isn't going to start many games, maybe, maybe in the European competitions, but certainly not in the Premier League, he's still of value to that squad. And I saw some training ground pictures the other day. I think it might have been a picture that Bruno Fernandes posted on his social media of him having a joke and having a laugh with Jesse Lingard and him saying, oh, he's one of my favourite players at the club or words to that effect. So there's a value to having him around the dressing room as well. But Jesse Lingard, the age he is, as we have discussed before, you'd imagine he wants to be a starter. He wants to be getting first team football. And his form at the end of last season when he was playing for West Ham even suggested he could force his way into the Euros. So surely he's going to have half an eye on the World Cup in 18 months and thinking, can I edge my way into the England squad? Can I be part of that tournament? Because that's going to be his ambition because there was a time when he was a regular starter for England. So that's all got to be playing on Jesse Lingard's mind. There's some interesting things that have fed into these rumours about him potentially returning. And we know it's been on the cards for a while. I think Man United's uh, price tag of 30-odd million quid put the West Ham board off slightly. That is reported to have come down a little bit to around 20 million. But there was a really interesting post on social media at the beginning of this week. So one of the prominent West Ham ITK accounts, uh, these guys called, I think they're called West Ham Transfers or something along those lines, or West Ham Central, I forget exactly. But they posted a picture of Jesse Lingard in his West Ham shirt from last season, pair of goggly eyes above it. And Lingard's brother replied to that post with a clock symbol, which everyone 
who follows West Ham, follows those accounts. They went, oh, done deal. Definitely happening. Just got to wait. So, I mean, it's interesting that Jesse Lingard's brother should post that. But, I mean, reading into it that that's a done deal, I think might be a little bit step too far. Is He he could be saying, time's up, it's not happening. Or, I mean, who knows? Um, but Jesse Lingard, I think, will leave Manchester United. I think it's a bit of a step to say he's definitely going to West Ham because surely there's other teams interested. But personally, from a fan point of view, I'd love to see him. All the reports say, Jim, 25 million quid for Jesse Lingard. Is that a good deal for you? Yeah, I mean, whether we've got 25 million quid or not is... Uh, another <laughs> yeah. question, but I don't think there's many other players of his Let's quality. Get the taxpayer to pay it. You'll be <laughs> yeah. all right. We'll do it over eight years of like instalments of three million quid a year or something like that. There aren't many other players you get of his quality for twenty five million. I think it'll probably be closer to twenty million if it does happen. But I mean, also I think if you expect Jesse Lingard to produce what he produced at the end of last season across a whole season, I think that's probably a little bit far fetched. I don't think that player. It can, I don't think you can maintain that for an entire season, but he'd still definitely be an upgrade on what West Ham currently have. And if it if the deal can get done, I'd love to see it. Well, the reports say that Lingard is willing to leave Manchester United unless he plays regularly, which is fine. But with 11 days to go in the transfer window, Marley, and the window closing on the 31st of August... How is he going to find out whether he's going to be playing regularly when there would have only been two or three games of the season? This leaves me thinking that maybe January might be a time when he moves on because at least then he knows that for the first six months of the season, if he's been given an opportunity that he deems consistent enough. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a tough one to um, to find out. You know, you, you sort of predict in the future and how the vibe of, of everything is, you know. I think he, he knows that Sancho is going to start most games when he gets uh, a few more training sessions underneath him. Um, he probably knows that Daniel James hasn't been give on, given up on yet as well. Um, so if you look at them and, and you think of all the other depth, Van der Beek's there, Juan Mata's still there. I feel like it, it's all coming, like sort of leaning towards him not going to be being able to get the games. So... If if I was him, I would I would leave and just play. Look after yourself. You know you've been at Man United since you were like ten years old or something. You're talking fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years. He's been there, so I feel like he's he's given them enough. Um, but it's time to go and play. And you know, we we see how close he was to getting in that England squad. Uh, he was unlucky to get cut from that that thirty man squad down to the twenty six man squad. Um, in the in the summer for the Euros, but. You know, he weren't far off, and he he's got to think about that and and get a full season underneath him, and see where it takes him. Because I think the whole vibe of of West Ham suited him. There's there's less pressure on you as a, as a West Ham player than there is on a Man United player, and all it takes is two or three games where you don't quite play at your best at Man United, and the fans will just be writing you off again. Oh, we should never have had him back. We should have got twenty million for. For him from West Ham, he's rubbish. He's never done it. He's never matured into the player that he that Ferguson once thought he might mature into. So I feel like he's. I I don't. I don't sort of blame him for wondering what might have been, but I think I just can't see it happening for him. So if I was him, I'd I'd choose West Ham and and playing games every week. Jim says if he plays well enough, the World Cup in eighteen months could be a possibility. Do you subscribe to that, Marley? Uh, I, I can't see it. I, just because I can't see him playing better than he did last season. I can see even if he played at that level, he still didn't get into the squad. Like there was still Foden, Sancho, Rashford, Sterling, 
Mount and Grealish and all the rest of them. So, you know, we talked yesterday about Harvey Barnes and Jack Harrison didn't get in. Hudson Odoi could even get in if he had a full full season of games, probably, um, but he won't. So, so that's that's probably a goner. But you know, when when he he's almost had his chance, but he he should he should always back himself to to push into that squad because if one player isn't quite uh, fit or or in form or playing, then you know. That's that's your your door opening. That's the one you have to you smash through if you uh, if you possibly can. Jesse Lingard could well be on the move. He's ready to leave, according to a number of newspaper sources, and possibly his own brother posting clock emojis, according to Jim Salveson. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder what other emojis he could have posted that would have given the West Ham fans something to, to cheer about. Is there a jelly and eels emoji knocking around anywhere? There's a there's a cross hammers emoji randomly uh, that you can use. That would have been uh, that. I mean that that would just be ninety nine percent done. Just a big old. I still think a bubble or a jelly and eels would have been better. Come on, emojis, get on, get on to the eels. Some pie and liquor. Yeah, yeah, some <laughs> some pie and liquor, definitely. That's it for today's football social daily. Don't forget, tomorrow we'll have a brand new preview show for you, looking ahead to the weekend's games on Saturday and Sunday. Some really exciting fixtures for match day two of the Premier League season. So make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss that. But that's it for today's podcast and we'll catch you again next time on football social daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode